Undeceptions podcast. Welcome to With All Due Respect, where we discuss serious questions with respect and grace. I'm Michael Jensen and... I'm Megan Paldi-Clark. Now, in this episode, we discuss the leader's ego. In 2015, there was a Canadian study which came out which said uh, that it had found 31% of pastors in one denomination showing signs of narcissistic personality disorder, which was widely reported. However, more recently, many issues were found with its methodology, and the author of the study himself, Glenn Ball, has acknowledged that he used the underlying tool wrongly. So that statistic is false. But meanwhile, it had gained wide traction. Everyone seemed to know a pastor they thought could be a narcissist. Several books have been recently released on the problem of narcissism in the church, including When Narcissism Comes to Church by Chuck DeGroat, A Church Called Tove by Scott McKnight and Laura Barringer, and Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church by Diane Langberg. When we couple this with some high-profile examples, narcissism has become a much-discussed problem in the church. While we may not have evidence of legions of diagnosed clinical narcissists in the church, we can all point to church leaders with ego problems. Not that surprising when church leadership can come with attached power and status. So it seems a good moment to ask, how do we deal with potential ego problems of leadership in, in others and possibly in ourselves? We interviewed David Starling about his research into New Testament understandings of leadership, then discussed together whether maybe our whole approach to leadership is wrong before finishing with, no, not a film on or about a pastor, but instead a Disney film <laughs> in Canto. our guest opening up the conversation to others. With us today is the Reverend Professor David Starling, a personal friend of both myself and Michael, as he studied with both of us at Moore and Morling Colleges. I think my mum was his mum's bridesmaid or the other way around too. Oh, right. (laughs) My father was a colleague of his as well. So it's all connected. David is the Chief Academic Officer at Morling College, the Baptist College in New South Wales. He lectures there in New Testament, hermeneutics, Greek and theology. He's the author of several books and one of them is particularly relevant to our conversation today. Un-Corinthian Leadership, Thematic Reflections on 1 Corinthians. Well, welcome, David. It's great to have you on and great title for your book. Uh, Un-Corinthian Leadership, you mean? Yes, yes. Well, um, uh, thanks very much. I think there should be a sort of uh, first letter to the Uncorinthians. There's a whole series as possible there. Well, I've got a, a bunch of sequels in mind. That's right. Um, all kinds of stuff riffing off the titles of the rest of the New Testament. But uh, we've so far just one. Yes, <laughs> Unephesian, Unphilippian, Unroman righteousness. All kinds of stuff that we could get, we could do with uh, down right. the track. But um, just one book so far. Well, we wanted to get you on because we think that your book is. Um and also just your general practice, is quite uh, an antidote to a lot of what's being talked about today as narcissism in um, the church and particularly with leaders. And I guess the first thing is to say, is what do you think about this discussion that's been going on about narcissism in the church? Mm. Oh, look, it was a, it's not a new conversation, but it, I feel mm. as if it's a, a conversation that stepped up a level in the last year or two for a, a bunch of reasons. Uh, mm. I remember back in twenty. 12, 2013, when I was working on the Corinthians book, uh, at the time I remember thinking, oh, there's there's so much that I'll um, decide not to write about in the book, um, all the, the the stories 
behind the writing of the book where mm. I'd been a spectator to and, um, and you know, involved in various ways in um, practices of leadership that I thought are yeah, really out of sync with, um, out of tune with the gospel. Uh, and I made a de- deliberate decision in the book that I'd, I'd keep my focus on the constructive vision in in First Corinthians and Paul's critique of the cultural practices that the Corinthian church had abs- absorbed. Um, but I remember at the time thinking, oh, there's so much going on <laughs> in, uh, in, in our contemporary Christian scene that um, what would Paul say if he were alive today? Um, and a decade on, I look around and think, oh, um, even more so, so much more so. I think it's a necessary conversation. Um, I think on the one hand, we talk way too much about leadership. I think we uh, isolate that particular form of service and we elevate it and um, we obsess over it, um, are disconnected from a whole lot of other things that Scripture connects it to. On the other hand, uh, yeah, I think we talk too little at a critical level about um, some of the assumptions that go unexamined um, in our hearts and in our practice um, to do with leadership and the way we exercise it. So, what are some of those? I mean, uh, you know, how much of a problem do you think uh, ego is in Australian church context and in, particularly in leadership? Um, I mean, you've been you've been training some of these leaders for, for years <laughs> now, David. Uh, <laughs> so, um, what could we perhaps point to? What could, what could we do differently that might shape them? Mm. Look, I think um, some of the unexamined assumptions um, have to do with the structures that we uh, encourage leaders to aspire to serve within and uh, require them to to uphold and, and exist within. So almost all of our structures tend to be pyramidical in nature and um, leadership uh, discourse. A lot of it's focused on um, position at the top of an org chart uh, rather than the particular uh, graces and gifts and functions and character uh, attributes that ought to be there. Uh, so then because of that, a lot of our focus, I think, too, is on uh, charisma and uh, the projection of personal power uh, and far too little on examining the task that leadership involves and the particular form of service that leadership offers to a community. Uh, and then I think that means we ask the wrong questions in appointing leaders. Mm. Uh, we, we set up a whole uh, economy, if you like, of uh, how we uh, practice Christian ministry uh, that sells a particular product of um, the the powerful communicator, the mm. high production levels, the charisma of the the famous person, the the, the aura around the platform performer, uh, and concentrates far too little on the kind of leadership that is embedded in a community, uh, hospitable, personal, um, consistent leadership that's humble and has a visible kind of uh, integrity to it, uh, and leadership that um, collaborates with others. Uh, I think leadership in the New Testament is um, plural and pluriform. That mm. is to say, it, it's about participating in the work of Christ alongside others, um, Paul, alongside Apollos, alongside the many others that God brings into that project. Um, we far too easily um, replicate the assumption of heroic uh, um, entrepreneur capitalist kind of leadership mm-hmm that it's all about my vision, my ministry, my project, my monument, my legacy, uh, rather than participating alongside um, others that God has brought into his work to work with us and those who went before us and those who will come after us. 
so I think that heroizing of the charismatic, powerful, platform performer, visionary leader mm. um, that we so easily fall into as if that's the essence of leadership, mm. that kind of heroizing of that model of leadership, um, even when it works well, is dangerous and distorting. Uh, and when it works badly is catastrophically damaging and it sets itself up to to fall over as it just does again and again and we keep mm. on replicating the same model <laughs> and getting surprised when we have the revelations of the the arrogance and the abuse and the bullying and the immorality and the hypocrisy everything's about the big face on the screen um, well, I'd say it's, it's actually bad mm. for um, those in ministry as well because mm. we feel like failures <laughs> when we haven't we, oh. when we haven't fulfilled that. You know, we're not charismatic, we're not a platform speaker. Um, then, oh, well, clearly we're an also ran uh, or or forgettable, or we have no legacy. Um, yes, it's all about leaving college and um, you know publishing my books and having my <laughs> podcast. Oh, oh dear, hang on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's all about that. Yes, it's cruel. I think it's cruel to everyone in the system. So it's cruel to those who um, attempt to run that particular race and can't keep up. Um, it's cruel to those who um, succeed and have to then um, perpetuate the stuff and the, the image making and the image projection that got them to their, their place at the front of the pack. Uh, and it's cruel to those who work alongside and to um, minister under, and it is under, um, those who are leading in that manner uh, in the communities that they lead um, in so many ways when it succeeds and when it fails. Um, mm. there's, there's cruelty and damage that's endemic to the model, I think, and dishonour to the name of Christ. It ends up substituting uh, a model of ministry that uh, lifts up um, the crucified Jesus and exalts mm. him um, as God does and points to him um, and that imitates the practice of God in choosing the things that are not, the despised and the the, the foolish things of the world and um, seeing the power of God in, in those things. It, it dishonors God's intentions and it's just harmful in so many ways to, to people in the system. Do you think, and I'm just picking up what you said a little bit back, uh, do you think one of the problems is how we define success? as in what is success of leadership or what is success in ministry or the church even? Yeah. Um, I think we we uh, we don't define leadership carefully enough. So we, we end mm. up selling the sizzle instead of the sausage. We sell the aura <laughs> instead of the, the concept itself, the task, um, because it is a task and a gift and a particular form of service. We, we, we sell instead the general idea of preeminence or prominence or fame or mm. being at the top of the tree. So we're not careful enough in our definition of leadership and therefore we have no idea what we mean when we talk about our definition of successful mm. leadership uh, and what the metrics for that are. Um, there, you know, It's just an unexamined set of assumptions that uh, I guess we take from again, from a, a growth-oriented, competitive, capitalist kind of culture um, that it's it just then got to be about bigger, um, uh, more, the numbers game, the, the upward graphs um, mm. of all the measurable uh, variables, the, you know, the, the dollars in the plate, the, the, the bums on the seats in the pews, et cetera. Mm. Um, and we, we need to see growth and we defend all kinds of um, – poor practice and failures mm. of character because, hey, it's, the, the graphs are going up. 
Um, so, yes, I think we have a poor and unexamined um, understanding of what leadership is and therefore a poor and unexamined uh, understanding of, of what successful leadership is. Mm. But can't we, uh, I mean, the, the critique might come back that you're sort of making pious comments about, fa- you know, you were kind of giving a pious excuse for uh, for, for failure and inefficiency. Um, I mean, I, I've heard that said, you know, that that minister over there as, you know, well, he's faithful, um, you know, and, and really, mm-hmm. I, but I'm aware of, of, uh, of laziness and ineptitude in the ministry as well. Yeah, so hard work is... Uh, integral to what um, Christian service involves uh, when Paul talks about his own uh, leadership and uh, and the leadership exercised by Apollos and others um, and the way in which God judges and rewards, he says the Lord will reward the labor of each um, and it's labor, it's kopos, it's, 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 that's the word for, you know, sweat and toil and mm. um, giving yourself to the work. He talks about himself as a, uh, a gifted uh, master builder, um, a wise master builder. So, so skill and hard work, absolutely are involved in in the, doing the task and doing it well. Um, so, I don't want to make an excuse for sloppiness, laziness, uh, inattention to the work that we've been given to do. I, I don't think that uh, what we get from Paul's example is, and his teaching in one Corinthians is is anything like an endorsement of um, comfortable sloppiness. Um, but neither does Paul give us any kind of reason to um, to endorse the assumption that the only way to get hard work and diligence and skill is through a kind of competitive economy where we're all trying to outdo each other and win the race. Uh, I think 1 Corinthians mm. is really scathing about the first century Corinthian version of that competition for honour and prominence. Uh, we, we have our own version of it in um, a consumer capitalist culture, mm. uh, but both ones have in common the idea that uh, there's a zero-sum game, there's a scarcity of, of honour or of, of resources, and that we're, the way to get best results is to compete with against each other. I find it fascinating that you've, you've several times in- evoked the, uh, the resemblance of the um, church culture to the consumer market, and uh, the more I think about it, the more sort of in which uh, the, the, the world in which growth is everything. Um, it it really is feeding into that into that metaphor, that kind of uh, impetus, um, and it's it's actually forced me to rethink that. Particularly, COVID has made that um, made me rethink that uh, the 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 widget that we produce, if we're going to use that, is is not. Um, a number, it's a kind of quality of community mm. and of godly Christians. Yes. And so that's our focus. And I, th- I think a lot of this has come, by the way, because of the anxiety that Christians have of losing cultural um, cultural influence, uh, the feeling that the church is going backwards, uh, that we're not what we used to be. Which is, um, I think there's a bit of a historical myth there. Uh, so we're anxious and we're yes. anxious for to, to re redress that curve to, to make that make the charts go upwards and it's a um, double anxiety if we think the cake is getting smaller then we'll <laughs> we'll fight against each other to compete for our <laughs> slice of the cake to at least grow and secondly yeah we'll cut corners in um, doing the whatever whatever it takes to try to make the cake bigger again uh, so I think that that narrative of uh, cultural decline and of the church's decline in the culture feeds uh, and anxious competitiveness, I agree. Um, and I think it's worth just, just sticking with the, um, the um, what you were saying about 
the church as a participant in a consumer economy. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's worth just dwelling on the systems that we create, systems of competition that set that up and reinforce it rather than systems of collaboration and mm. cooperation. Because I think, um, yes, at one level, this is about the word of God doing its work by God's spirit in the hearts, in the souls of us as individuals. Mm. But it's also about the way in which as communities of God's people, we um, we set up the systems and the structures that um, fit well with the tune that we say we sing, the gospel tune. So I'm really, I'm really as a Baptist, and you're a Baptist as well, taken with your um, communal vision there of leadership, I think, from uh, yeah. Corinthians. What other resources within um, Scripture do you think are there to help us form a, a better vision of what it is to have leadership within community? Yeah. Um, so certainly I think Paul's letters, yeah, Paul models shared leadership and openness to a of diversity of forms mm. of leadership. So both his model and his teaching suggest that leadership isn't one thing and a community isn't best served by one leader who is the full package. Um, in a strange kind of way, I'd say um, the way in which God organizes the political constitution of Israel too and the mm -hmm. forms in which his presence and his rule are mediated in the nation of Israel, um, which theologians have subsequently categorized in, in their, their doctrine of the threefold office of Christ. That yep. helpfully frames this for us, but not if it's applied in an, un, in an unreflective way <laughs> and not if it's applied without reference to the way in which you get a convergence of the priestly, the prophetic and um, the kingly um, officers in the one um, anointed one, the Lord Jesus. Mm. So, um, yeah, I've seen some pretty crummy applications of, of this <laughs> as a kind of, um, you know, you're a type A, you're a you know, type a, alpha type, beta type and mm. gamma type leaders, um, you know, prophets and priests and kings. I think that's pretty crummy. Mm -mm. Um, uh, Christ rules um, by his word as the one who mediates the presence of God through his sacrifice on the cross, and it all converges. Uh, but it does uh, reinforce that notion. There's an there's a important scriptural resource here for us to think about the way in which God uses the prophets to hold the kings to account in Israel's constitution and so on. So there's that. Um, there's all the gift catalogs of the New Testament uh, and mm. the fact that, that um, the gifts of kinds of leadership, kubernetes, uh, in 1 mm. Corinthians 12, is only mentioned once, and it's mentioned in the plural, suggesting a variety of forms. Mm. That's suggestive. Uh, and all the variety of different um, relationships and offices and responsibilities and functions that are so variegated when the Bible speaks about um, the apostles, the prophets, the, um, the teachers, the pastors, the evangelists, and so on. Um, scripture does keep on telling us variegation and cooperation. The metaphor is the body uh, mm. and all the diversity of its members with such varied gifts working together. Um, it's nothing about competition in a single foot race to get to the front of the pack and win the race. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I've been struck um, by by both the the, the way in which that um, uh, ameliorates against the potential for their there have to be sinful patterns of leadership, but also as an acceptance of our finitude, yes. you know, which is actually mm. a good godly gift. <laughs> you know, it's actually uh. a good thing for us. And uh, I've been reflecting on that a lot with um, with the work of Kelly Capit uh, recently too. Mm. Um, now, uh, 
forget what type of leader we should be. Is our whole emphasis on leadership misguided? <laughs> we discuss that next before reviewing the Disney film Encanto. How does that speak to Christian leadership? Thank you very much for being with us, David, and uh, stay tuned, uh, those who are listening. Thank you so much, David. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Megan. Well, right at this moment, we've been watching as a lot of um, people have been displaced from Ukraine with a really horrible situation happening there. But last year, of course, we were all watching as that happened with Afghanistan. And those people who've been displaced still have major needs. And that's where our partners, Anglican Aid, come in. Yeah, that's right. So uh, a lot of people, a lot of these people have moved to uh, Brazil Mm -hmm. and they've been uh, helped by the Anglican Diocese of Vitoria in Brazil. And uh, we are supporting through Anglican Aid or Anglican Aid is supporting uh, that those people on the ground to sort of re make sure there's as soft as landing as possible for these refugees through all sorts of things that you'd need to start a life in a new country. You need to learn a new language. You need to go through your quarantine periods. You need to you need to get your visa done. You need education, and of course, uh, you need help for all members of the community at different different mm. ages, whether they be children or the elderly. So all of that uh, is happening, as well as trauma counselling, and uh, so the funding that Anglican Aid is giving is going towards uh, those programs in that place Mm. of great need. So if you'd like to give uh, God's grace to these people who suffered this trauma from Afghanistan, go to anglicanaid.org.au and you can find out what to do. For argument's sake, where we take a debate, cut out the party politics and try to talk it out. This week we're looking at Christian leadership. Now, it's a concept that sells. We've all been to the the conferences on <laughs> Christian leadership. They're legion. Put those words into a book title or a conference description or a training seminar and you get immediate interest. There are whole degrees on Christian leadership and special centres for it. We love talking about servant leadership, but... When is this just a spiritual gloss over what we're really interested in, how to get and to exercise power? Leaders exist in the Bible, but is our keen interest in the concept justified? Or are we fueling an ego problem in our churches? Okay, Megan, what do you reckon? Look, I think we are. (laughs) I'm going to just lay that on the table. You know, I've done searches like at at Koorong on... um, and how many books we have on leadership and how many in actual service, not servant leadership, but service. And, of course, leadership is just huge because it's more attractive to people. But when something's attractive to people, that sometimes <laughs> tells us something. And I really don't think, I'll see what you think about this, but I think there's a lot of, about people who are leaders in the Bible and certainly a lot of the narratives do focus on those people, but also there's narratives about other people. And on but, their flaws, must must admit. Yeah, on their flaws. Apart from one exception. Yes, I read that. I kind of heard you there talking about actual flaws, but that's probably because I've got mould all over mine. But yes, right, F-L-A-W-S. No. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so, but I don't think in terms of actually talking about leadership as a concept rather than uh, the kind of um, disciples leaders should be, that I'm not sure occurs that much. But you're a, you're a leader of a kind. I mean, uh, you know, you I mean, lead. I'm a Baptist. You, <laughs> but you you lead, don't you? I mean, in in a very ordinarily human sense, I would say you're. Yeah. A leader. So I think. I mean, I think the Bible certainly shows that leadership exists. I think, and and it's, you know, one of the gifts in the church. Um, and people certainly have leadership positions in the church. I think there's no doubt about that. 
But whether we're meant to focus on it as something that you know, dwells in our minds all the time about, you know, how do I be a leader? You know, how do I have a proper vision? Like, should we have all these conferences in it? Or, or <laughs> is really the Bible more, or and certainly the gospel, more about a self-negation, about a following Jesus, a discipleship? And is that actually at odds with a lot of the stuff that we're putting out there about leadership? No matter how much we gloss it over with servant leadership. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you think this has come up? Why why the prominence of this leadership discussion? Why why so why is it so attractive? So a couple of answers here. The first one is one that's across time and place and space, which is people like power. And people like to justify power. And this is a great way of justifying it. And I'm sorry, that's really hard words for people to hear, but that, that there's a reality there and people want to have status and this gives them status. But um, And I'm not immune to any of that either. But um, but also I think in the, the recent uh, past, it has been very much connected into the corporatization of the church and the megachurch model and all of that coming through. And so a lot of what you get is is – either loosely or actually pretty tightly connected into um, corporate understandings in terms of business understandings. So it's more, it's perhaps more uh, managerial rather mm. than it's managerial leadership, which is the particular mode of leadership that's being sold. Um, I mean, there are other types of leadership, of course, is the, your political leadership and is the uh, the military leadership. Um, some of those are more, com- uh, uh, they're, they're sort of closer to biblical uh Biblical analogies rather than the, the kind of corporate uh, models. The corporate model uh, does seem like a profit is the goal and growth is the goal, and mm. so, but growth in a kind of earthly, earthly sense. Um, I mean, some of the models for ministry that we see uh, in the Bible, though, are also uh, agricultural. So, yeah. a shepherd is a kind of leader. Um, he's not a sheep, and she's not a sheep. They they shepherd, don't they? They they do. Uh, yes, although, I'm not in sure a particular they... mode. I mean, of course, this shepherd lays down his or her life, life right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm not sure they're sort of visionary or you know charismatic in the small c sense of the word. Like they are if you're a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think that's what the sheep is responding to. The sheep is responding to care. Um, there's authority involved, though, isn't there? A isn't there? Um, and and so therefore, a kind of power. Uh, power is not in its in and of itself bad. It's it just exists in human institutions. I I, I mean, I, I guess my fear of the critique of this is sometimes that it then says all all power is or all institutional authority is somehow always corrupt. <laughs> it kind of is, I want to say. But my my fear is that you're then left with power by stealth because power will come. People people will seize power. Or you're left with anarchy, well, which, which is then be, just individualism and you have no cohesion. It would be more interesting, and I think this would not just to, because I think what happens is we identify people as leaders when really actually we're often identifying people that look like ourselves or people that have qualities that our culture recognises as leadership qualities. So none of that necessarily means that you're identifying people who are good leaders. Um, but they're identified and they get sent off to, you know, leadership summits and all that kind of thing. Well, I actually think it would be more helpful for the church as a whole, for the community of the church, not just these people who are identified as having leadership material, whatever that is, would talk together about how power operates and how it operates both with individuals and corporately because you see that 
in the Bible as well. The Corporately, corporate. not in the sense of corporations. Yes, but this, chat, this time I'm using it more communally. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, right. How does it well, actually comes from the Bible language of the body of the Christ. The body Christ, of Christ, right? so, yeah, yeah. I get it. So I think that there's, you know, a critical way that we can look at, and I'm using critical not in negative, but in the sense of um, self-examination, not only of the individual, but also of the body to kind of work out how do we do power in a way that's not abusive, in a way that recognises the different types of power that operate. Rather than, I, I really feel there's something a bit, I know I'm being pretty strong about this today, but there's something a bit facile about our the way that we approach leadership as if it's um, particular individuals with particular gifts. Do people have particular gifts? Gifts, so though. What do we do when we actually encounter someone who's got a remarkable uh, leadership gift? A lot of the, the people in, that I see. <laughs> in the Christian church. I don't know whether you see, see what you say about this, but a lot of people that I've seen described as the people with remarkable leadership gifts are often people that I see as, as having potential to abuse other people. That's, sorry, that's, it's just what are we talking about? What's a leadership gift? And until we can come to real grasp with what that is, and I think perhaps how much more do we need to talk about leadership character? I think I think the, the help, that this has been the most helpful thing of the conversation in the last few years has been that it's swung towards character. Mm. And certainly I was part of the, um, uh, the election of an archbishop in Sydney recently and I was very much taken by the need that we, we needed to elect the person with, with the most godly character rather than the most consummate corporate and management managerial skills. Um, and I, I really... Don't care one level about the managerial. I do care about managerial skill. I want I want the diocese to run efficiently. I want I want churches to run um, responsibly and to steward our resources well, but and to have a good strategy. But uh, at, in the end, those things are secondary to um, a person who encourages us to be more godly and more humble and more Christian, more genuinely and authentically Christian, to pray more and to repent more. I I would value those even in a position like that, more than their capacity to kind of run an organisation. Yeah. I mean, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Yes. So it's a refracting back to Christ always. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really – so the thing that Paul saw as central to his leadership, if we want to call it that, is, is following into Christ and into Christ's suffering uh, and into Christ's um, sacrifice. And that is a, a – you know, I, th- I think the way that we talk about servant leadership has not fully come to grasp with the the radical nature of that understanding. So why is that? Why is that? Because I mean, obviously, that comes from a, a biblical heart. We want mm. we want to see the word servant coupled with leadership. We want to remind people that their job is to serve. Uh, I mean, my answer would be that the servants, the service aspect, has been a kind of um, instead of mimicking Christ, it's been replacing. Christ. So mm. instead of Christ dying for us, we find the minister dies for us instead. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> this service becomes a kind of substitution, or, you know, a pouring out of the um, of the work, the working life to complete exhaustion, um, and uh, everybody else being kind of kept in in dos- docility mm. because this person is just working like the blazers, and um, they can't let go and allow others to lead. Um, I mean, I would say to you, similarly, sometimes in the way that you hear people talk about the marriage relationship, that there are ways that we talk about leadership and including the way we talk about it as service, which are destructive to everyone involved, including the person who's leading. So in, in the sense of you're actually 
self-emptying to the, or, you know, it's not a metaphor of Christ. It's it's, it's not a uh, an echo of Christ. It's a replacement of Christ. Yeah, or ex- and expecting from someone what they were never expected or able to achieve, as if uh, someone has all of the gifts or always strong or um, is never going to falter. And uh, I just don't think that's what we see in the Bible, <laughs> even so, with Christ. Yeah, I think I think one of the reasons this has come up is because of a sort of anxiety as well. So there's a sort of um, uh, when we are in anxious culture, we ask, we we seek big big leaders, big man leaders mostly. Mm. Um, but sometimes it can be a strong woman too. Um, so Margaret Thatcher is a great example yeah. of that. We and so we we want a breakthrough, smash through leader, um, and that's that's what we've been looking for in in the church often is we want our church to kind of have the smash through leader who just puts everything, you know, we can, we can rely on absolutely. Mm. And it actually, it, uh, breakthrough leaders actually make things worse, not better. Often, often long-term, I think, and often actually there is a faith in um, choosing someone who's got greater character who you think maybe is going to go at it slower, but they're going to get there in a way that brings everyone along in which um, there is a flourishing of everyone, and and maybe you just need to have faith that the one in control is God, <laughs> and not us. <laughs> do we um, do we appoint leaders too young, as senior ministers, for instance? Because sometimes I feel like some of these gifts come with with a, a few battle scars, a, well, few, I, a bit yeah, of maturity. I think, I think our understanding of gift, perhaps, sometimes I think we think of gift as some kind of innate ability or personality. And I think perhaps gifts can be merely, they're just the grace of God in our life and grace can come through experience. Well, I don't know about you, but I have found this personally challenging actually to think about and talk about as a yeah, leader. Yeah, to think about. Um, so, yeah, we invite other people to join us in the Facebook group as we discuss more. Still to come... We loved Hamilton. You can go back and listen to the episode. And we found it had a lot to say about our faith. Can we find the same gold in Lin-Manuel Miranda's songs in Encanto, an animated Disney film? We'll find out next. Well, we want to encourage you again to go and check out what John Dixon on his Underceptions podcast has been doing. It's the flagship one of this network. He's always got fantastic guests and topics and one that you'll be particularly interested in has just come out. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll be particularly interested in because it's on the Vikings and it's actually recorded in Denmark, So, which is my ancestral home. Uh, so, <laughs> my name is Jensen. Uh, so, please don't call me Jensen. But, you know, I know no Dane. Uh, this is entirely a facade, but uh, the the Vikings are a really interesting uh, group of people. Of course, there's been a number of sort of Netflix series about the mm. extended series about the 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 Vikings themselves. Um, but they became Christians, didn't they? Yeah, and there was a real cultural change for them. And so I think what he's done is he's done one episode which looks at the background and history and culture of the Vikings, and the next episode about what happens after they become converted. So that that should be fascinating because they were a violently horrible mob before that. Well, they're very successful invaders. <laughs> they, they were. But apparently, I, I should add, they were kicked out of uh, Britain because the uh, the British found that the, the Viking men were uh, too attractive to their wives. So, anyway, we How won't go there. How did I know that you'd bring that <laughs> So, this is, this is what we Danes are like. <laughs> okay, so go listen to it because Michael, in fact, is not going to be making jokes like that on it. It's just going to be some great actual information. By real historians. About Vikings. Go and listen to Underceptions yeah. on Vikings.
Mark and Dave, two people obsessed by stories, but not always the same one. Lencanto is a 2021 animated Disney film with original songs by Hamilton's Lin-Manuel Miranda. We both loved Hamilton, so it wasn't a particularly tough sell, at least to me. The film tells the story of a large Colombian family, uh, the Madrigals, who all serve Madrigals. Their, yeah, okay. I wasn't even going to try. <laughs> who all serve their community using magical gifts, except for one of them, Mirabelle, who has no magical gift. And when they start to lose their magic, it is Mirabelle who decides to find out what is happening. The film won the Golden Globe Award for Best Animated Feature Film, and it's been nominated for three Oscars, Best Animated Feature, Best Original Score, and Best Original Song. Of course. Well, Michael, do you think this kids' film has anything to say to us about leadership? <laughs> well, I, I enjoyed it. I kind of watched it over about three sessions. Um, I think it. I think it does. Although I think, uh, like many Disney uh, films, its main theme is personal authenticity. Mm-hmm. So the real you, you've got to find the real you inside you, and um, also. Uh, it might not be something spectacular. You might be very ordinary, but you're still special. And that's that's you know that's in every Disney, every <laughs> single Disney thing. Although this is a highly unusual. Uh, there was a lot of unusual stuff about this. It was yeah, sort there of was, it, there's some significant departures in this one from Latin other American films. magic realism and all of that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fun in that. Um, I think it did tell us that um, peacemaking is really important. Is a really important facet of leadership that a person like uh, the 15 year old Mirabelle who doesn't appear to have a special gift yet through her persistence, character, dog determination and care actually leads the the older members of the family into the change that they need to make. Mm. And that's kind of appealing. She's an appealing character. She's not the best looking, the prettiest, the strongest or any of those things. Mm. She's pretty ordinary. But but as an ordinary person can do something extraordinary through through these virtues that she exhibits. Um, but but I did I mean I do feel like there is that sort of it, you'll find it inside of you if you look hard enough, your special <laughs> gift. I mean, I did feel like her gift was almost one of that being able to connect and come alongside other people. Like it was a, a people related gift that was not that noticeable to everyone else around her because it was less individual focused. Yeah, she embraces people um, uh, and it's a dysfunctional family. It's a massively dysfunctional family, though it looks wonderful because it's got these outside gifts. But I thought that was actually really nice too because um, from the outside, this family looks like the family you want to be in because everyone's got mm. superpowers, you know. Um, some of the superpowers are a bit weird, uh, like being able to make flowers um, grow <laughs> and <laughs> well, the weather change. Yes. I mean, what I really enjoyed, and I mean, that was an interesting thing as well, that the strong person in the um, in the film is is a woman. Um, let's have a clip from her at the moment. Why would anything be wrong? I'm totally fine. The magic's fine. Louisa's fine. I'm totally not nervous. Your eyes doing the thing. I'm the strong one. I'm not nervous. I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is. Okay. I move mountains, I move churches, and I glow because I know what my worth is. Of course, I mean, hey, where are you going? I don't ask how hard the work is. Got a rough, indestructible surface. Diamonds and platinum, I find them, I flatten them. I take what I'm handed, I break what's demanded. But under the surface, I feel berserk as a tightrope walker in a three-ring circus. Under the surface, was Hercules ever like, yo, I don't want to fight service. Drip, 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 that'll never stop. Whoa. 
And in that clip, she's actually feeling the pressure of being a leader. And I think it's what we were talking about before of that sometimes the way that we envisage leadership just puts an unrealistic um, pressure in it that makes it unable to be born and, and means it can't really effectively work. Now, this was the best moment of the movie for me, or the bit that I really liked, was this character, the character who's uh, Louisa, if yeah. I remember correctly. Louisa, uh, yeah. She's the, uh, <laughs> thank you, she's the strong woman and she really is, um, she's carrying the burden for everybody and mm. it's really not making her happy yet she has to do it in order to kind of keep the village going and it's crushing it even though she's very strong it's still crushing her and i feel like um in christian ministry often that's the role we put the minister in mm. we say you've got these gifts so now carry all these burdens turns out in the Christian world, uh, we actually do have someone who's carried our burdens for us, <laughs> and it's not for us to carry those. They're not to be carried twice. And they don't need to be carried twice. Certainly not individually. Like what really got me, I think my favourite thing is when you know the house actually becomes rubble. Sorry for the spoiler. <laughs> and it's not <laughs> it's built, a magic house. It's not built up again through the type of magic that it came into existence by. It's built up again through all the community coming together, all those people who supposedly had no gifts, and they come and lay the foundation. And so it really is also saying, as well as it's saying that each person is special, it's saying that that's because we're in community and it's the community that carries all of us together. And, perhaps and that's, I think, like the church. Helps us with uh, understanding 1 Corinthians where we and the language of gifts in the New Testament where we tend to think of a special and miraculous gifts, mm. whereas actually the gifts are given to all. The, mm. the gifts are for the edification of all and that's how they are spiritual. They're spiritual in the way they are used in building up the body. Not It's not that they're magical or supernatural, but we focus on these kind of special charisms because mm, they're mm. so intoxicatingly beautiful to us. And maybe, yeah, I think actually maybe as well as putting more of our focus on Christ, we also need to put more of our focus on the whole body of Christ and the beauty of that that there is rather than just any particular Yeah, let's not romanticise that because there are some pretty annoying people in the body of Christ that are difficult to love. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let me and tell we you. we deal with that as a body. <laughs> Yeah, and that becomes very di- that becomes that's the challenge for us is to see then how every part is valuable. We just have a discussion as a ministry team uh, today. We were thinking about uh, the the difficulty of, of actually working that out in reality. How there are mm-hmm. people who uh, we we always seem to be sort of praying over and struggling with, and yet they're actually in some way God's gift to us. Um, how is that? How do we find that? And that's our that's our challenge. And I think that is finding the value of people is not in any particular spectacular gift or something that we feel they're giving. People are valuable just because they're there, because they're um, creations of God. Yeah, God. God's verdict is not our verdict. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that's the one what really matters. Well, thanks for joining us at With All Due Respect. Coming up in our next episode, we'll be thinking about money. Well, who doesn't think about money all the time? <laughs> but how much of that thinking is driven by our faith and how difficult it is to do? And is love of money one of the great sins of the Australian church? Well, join us as we discuss the value of money. Cha-ching! Cha-ching! <laughs> Perceptions Podcast.